podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Thursday on which not much is happening. There is plenty of speculation, plenty of rumour, plenty of spoofing, plenty of meltdown, plenty of tantrum, but not a whole lot of substance here. Um, the crazy portion of the fan base have decided to double down on their bullshit and they're still spouting the nonsense that the bid for Caicedo was a PR move. Uh, All this serves to tell us is that they have no idea what PR is or what the purpose of it is. There is no good PR to be taken from making a bid for a player that wasn't a real bid. None at all. In losing out on Caicedo, Liverpool have come out of it looking quite bad. It looked like they got big-brothered by Chelsea. It looked like they just got slapped around by Chelsea when Chelsea came in and and overpaid substantially for Caicedo after we had agreed to overpay substantially for him, a £75 million player that we bid £111 for. If that was a PR bid, we would have just bid the £100 Like, actually, do you know what? Let me rewind on that a little bit. We wouldn't make a bid for PR. That's just the fact of it. No club would. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Genuinely the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But if it was in this hypothetical scenario, a PR bid, we would have just bid $100 because that's what Brighton were asking for. We wouldn't have gone to the extent that we did a highly complex... £111 million bid, all cash, by the way, no add-ons, and a sell-on clause, and a buyout clause in his contract, which we had agreed with Chelsea, or with, with Brighton, rather. What Chelsea have done is they've had to match the sell-on, the buyout, And they've overpaid. Now, their offers structured differently to ours because they didn't have the available cash that we had. And frankly, if we had wanted to force the issue, we probably could have made it a lot more complicated for everybody involved. But the fact of it is, there's nothing good that comes out of that. Nothing good. Like, what would have happened if Chelsea had just turned around and said, oh, you know what, we can't go to that extent. We're not going to go to that extent. Do these people think Liverpool would have just backed out of the deal? Is that what their assumption is? Like, how mind-blowingly stupid would you need to be to think that that's a real option? In no world 
would the club make a bid for the purposes of PR? If you wanted to do that, you'd bid for somebody else. You'd go for a player like Eduardo Camavinga and you'd offer Real 90 million and they'd turn it down. And then you'd turn around and you'd make an offer for whoever else, whoever else. But you'd make offers for players you know you can't get. But you'd be showing ambition. And it's a funny thing when people say, oh, they're showing ambition. Manchester United has spent $415 million since Ted Hag took over. Plenty of Liverpool fans will tell you United are showing ambition. What they're actually doing is they're showing how stupid they are. Look how, look how much money they've wasted. Look how bad their team is. All with that ambition. It, it really does start to grind at me the extent people will go to to try and bash the owners. Now, look, the owners deserve plenty of criticism. There's a lot of real things we can criticise them for. The problem is, when you dilute your argument with nonsense like this, PR bids and all the rest, what you do is you damage the credibility of your actual arguments against the owners. And the truth of it is, many of the people whose entire identity is FSG out don't really know what it is that their issue with the owner is, but they'll parrot the same lines over and over again. Lack of ambition, not backing the manager. Well, give us like, give us examples of this. Now show us proof that that's the situation and that's why that happened. Has there been moments where the club should have spent more? Absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. Is there things FSG have done that would make you strongly question whether they're acceptable owners of this club? Absolutely there is. But the bottom line on it is, you've got to make those arguments based on those points. So, for example, the furloughing of staff. There's a real thing that you can hit them with. The ticket price increase, when they tried to bring in those overly expensive set of seats into I think it was into the, the, the new main stand. That's something you can absolutely get into with regards to criticising them. You can try and criticise them for the copywriting of Liverpool, but understand why they did that. It wasn't to stop the vendor. It wasn't to stop the guy on the street selling merchandise. It was to stop Liverpool.com. It was against Reach PLC. It wasn't against the guy on the street. It was against a corporation who were going to try and make money trading on the Liverpool name. Because 
if you're just a random football fan and you want to know the latest news about your club, Liverpool Football Club, and you go on Google and you type in liverpool.com, expecting to get the club website, and instead you get a Reach PLC website, which is entirely clickbait, paid for with ad revenue, but it's all Liverpool content. So even if it's not the site you want, well, you're going to click around, aren't you? So now they're making money off the club's name. Very, very clever plan from Reach PLC. But that is what Liverpool tried to trademark the name in response to. Not the guy on the street selling scarves. But no one took the time to actually read their trademarking proposal. No one took the time to take a step back and go, well, why have they done this now? Because this site was about to launch. And the site launched about two weeks after they tried to trademark the name. That's why they did it. So that's not something I'm going to hammer them on. You can if you want, and that's fine. But I prepare. I prefer to look at the actual facts of what happened. Again, there are a lot of things we can criticise them on. We can go old school and we can criticise them on giving Kenny the job on a full-term basis, bowing to fan pressure at that point. But they were still relatively new owners and they didn't want to disappoint a fan base that were adamant that Kenny should get the job. Now, not all of us, obviously. Some of us recognised that Kenny had come in as a caretaker. He'd done very well for six months, but that we really should be looking for a long-term appointment here. You can criticise them for the manner in which they went about replacing Kenny and the fact that they ended up with Brendan Rodgers. And Brendan wasn't their first choice. He wasn't their second choice. He wasn't their third choice. He wasn't even their fourth choice. Brendan was just who they ended up with. Because they tried to get Klopp. They tried to get Frank De Borna. That obviously would have been a bit of a mess. They had V.S. Boas basically job agreed and he talked himself out of it because he's an idiot. There was somebody else. There was somebody else as well that they tried for. But they ended up with Rodgers. I don't think Martinez was above Rodgers in the pecking order. But the bigger criticism I would have at that point is, at that stage, they were planning to do the sporting director model, the European model, as it's known, despite the fact it's actually the American model. And... They decided not to do it because Brendan Rodgers told them he wouldn't work that way. Well, in that case, Brendan Rodgers should have been thanked for, his in- t- thanked for his interest in the job and sent back to Swansea. You don't move away from your plans for Brendan Rodgers. So they went about this transfer committee thing. But initially, Rodgers had control of transfers. That was then a disaster in that first transfer window. 
they considered getting rid of him towards the end of that year. They shifted focus, gave the committee more power, more influence, more say, more decision-making. They get Sturridge and Coutinho because of that, rather than Walcott and Schneider, which is what Rodgers had wanted. And Liverpool take off. And for 18 months, Liverpool are exceptional because of Luis Suarez, because of Raheem Sterling, because of Daniel Sturridge, and because of Phil Coutinho. Liverpool are exceptional for 18 months. And then they give power back to Rodgers. And he makes a hames of it. And the 14-15 season is a disaster. And he should have been sacked the day that season ended. When Stoke pummeled us, he should have been sacked in the dressing room afterwards. Instead, they allowed him to stay. Now, it might have been that they'd gotten an agreement with Jürgen early, that Jürgen was prepared to come in, you know, maybe in December, maybe the following summer. Maybe they just thought, well, look, we'll put up with one more year of Brendan and then we've got Jürgen coming. Maybe they knew that. I don't know. I doubt they'd ever tell us if they if that was the truth. Jürgen comes in and again, they put a structure in place. They promote Michael Edwards. Now there's a real structure. Now everything starts to function really well. 16, 17, everything is very good. 17, 18, we become exceptional in terms of structure, in terms of process. 18, 19, 19, 20, obviously we have great success. Then things start to break down. Things actually started to break down the summer of 2019 and not not forcing the issue by going into the market from a position of strength is something that we will criticise the owners for. Whether others pushed for continuity, not disrupting having won the European Cup and relo- like going again with the same group into the, the league campaign, the owners should have made a decision. If that's the play, that's the play. But what we're going to do here is we're going to take 60 or 70 million and we're going to spread it around and we're going to buy three or four exceptionally good prospects. And we're going to loan those players out for a year if need be, but we're going to go and buy them now. You know, there was potential to get a many at that point. There was potential to get a couple of others that really could have made a big difference. William Saliba is another one that we looked at. Whereas Fafan is another one that we looked at. We could have gotten them at good prices and loaned them out and had them then to come in a year later with a little bit more seasoning on them and they would have been ready to contribute. But a decision was made not to. That's a huge mistake and that is something I'll criticise the owners for. Because whether Jürgen or whoever made a decision that we don't want to disrupt the group, you always, always need to move forward from a position of strength. You cannot stagnate. And we won the league and everybody thought that justified the summer of sitting on our hands, but it didn't. Because that's short-term thinking. You always need to be looking at the long-term health of the club. Always. And one-off success is not acceptable for this club. You should be building a dynasty when you have the opportunity. And we failed to do so that summer. 
Then the fact that they allowed the situation with Michael Edwards to get to where it got to, that's something I would absolutely hit them for. And the fact that we lost him, that, that's an outrage. That's the best sporting director in Europe. And we lost him. Now, the owners still have a good relationship with him, which will tell you all you need to know about why he left. The same is true of Ian Graham. The same is true of Julian Ward. But the fact that they allowed that to happen and they've allowed a situation to develop where now Jürgen has all the power. Jürgen is making all the decisions with regards to transfers. That's something I would hammer them for as well. That lack of oversight, that lack of commitment to the structure, that is unacceptable. That's where they've fallen down. And then there's other things. And the lack of spending is is definitely something we can go into. But the biggest issue there is this ownership group have always been the champions of FFP. They've always been the one to stick to that, to push for stronger regulation in that regard. And yet, for all their championing, 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 oh, who cares? For all, for all their talk about FFP, I can't speak. I'm very tired. I was up very early. Uh, I've had a long drive. Um, For all their talk of FFP, the fact that the club had to pay for the new stands and the training ground. That annoys me because FFP allows for owners to invest their own capital into infrastructure. And FFP is something that they're big on and yet they're not using it properly themselves. FSG did not put their own money in. Well, they might have loaned the money, but they want it back. And that shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case at all. They should have been paying for that. Because at the end of the day, while it's great for fans to have you know, more seats, because that means more tickets, and it's great for the team to have an improved training ground, the people that benefit most from that is ultimately the owners. Because... What that does more than anything is it increases the value of the club. It increases the value of their asset. It re- it increases their return on investment. And remember, this is a club valued at somewhere between three and four billion. A club they paid three hundred million for. They couldn't have put another two hundred million in to cover the new stands and the training ground. Not like it was all been put in at once either. Because the new stand started when Rogers was still in charge. That's 2015. So it's across eight years. They couldn't have put that money in themselves. Let's not pretend that the training ground and the new stands are absolutely top of the line state of the art either. Like the new stands are just expansions. They're not, it's not like we leveled the old stands and built completely new ones. They're expansions of the old stands. The training ground is exceptional, but it's not best in class. Compare it to Leicester's new training ground. And it falls short. Now, it is very, very impressive. 
but it's not at that same level. They could have paid for these things themselves. That would have left two hundred million in the club's coffers over Jurgen Klopp's tenure, with Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards later Julian Ward. That's potentially five, maybe even six players that Liverpool could have signed in that thirty-five to forty million pound range. Do we think that might have made the difference over these last couple of years? Especially in those early years when it was for the main stand and, and then the AXA. When prices, when you could find real value in that 35 to 40 million range, as we did over and over and over again. They're the things I criticize the owners for. And I don't think any of them are outlandish criticisms. And I think most level-headed people would at least look at those things. And and even if they don't agree, they would say, that's at least fair. It's a fair criticism. I don't agree because X, Y, and Z. However, you will not get anybody who's level-headed or in any way sensible who will agree with, they bid $111 as a PR move. Just bullshit. It's just utter bullshit. So, you know, that's today's rant over and done with. On This Is Anfield, we have a couple of very, very good pieces. There's a piece about uh, Billy Hogan's comments about the Anfield Road end, the hope to get the work finished after the contractors, the Buckingham Group, uh, filed a notice to appoint administrators. Um Hogan had some very interesting comments on that. So that's well worth a read. And obviously, this is Anfield have been fantastic in their coverage of the expansion of the stand. And they've been getting, you know, great pictures. And there's a couple of guys on YouTube that are doing the drone footage. So do check all of them out. There's also a piece here uh, regarding the surprise midfield target. Liverpool ranked next to Caicedo and Lavia. Um it's Bubakar Kamara. I don't know that. I don't know that that shortlist is accurate. It's from the Athletic. I don't know who wrote it in the Athletic. It could have been Jimbo, could have been somebody else. But Bubakar Kamara being included is absolutely no surprise. We've had him on the uh, transfer committee pod as one of our targets multiple times. Outstanding player, but we could have signed him for free last season but somebody was in their feelings and decided to ignore any and all possibilities. Uh, in, in good transfer news, Liverpool have confirmed the double signing of midfield and centre-back teenagers. So Trey, I think it's Neonni from Leicester, who's a very, very highly regarded midfield player. He's joined. Uh, looks from the... Brief clips I've seen. Looks a very talented player. Rangy kind of midfielder. Excellent technique. So quite excited to see what happens with him. But Amara Nalo from West Ham, the young centre-back, he might be even more exciting. This kid is talked about as an absolute Rolls-Royce of a centre-back. There's people who are very, very high on him 
and think that if he'd stayed at West Ham, he could have been in the first team within first team picture within 12 months. I've seen one or two suggestions that maybe he could also play as a holding midfielder. So I don't know if that's true or not. I, I, I like I say, I haven't seen the kid play uh, other than a few clips. So I'm not really sure. But those two and Harvey Owen, the youngster we signed from Wolves, certainly will strengthen the um, will strengthen the the academy team. I assume they'll all play in the under 18s this coming season. Uh, and obviously, over the over recent years, we've brought in Ben Doak from uh, Celtic. We've brought in Cade Gordon from Derby. Bobby Clark came down from Newcastle. Trent Coney Doherty came over from Northern Ireland. And Callum Scanlon, the young left back that we signed from Birmingham last year, is also very, very highly regarded. So it, it does appear like we're, we're doing quite well in this market, but we need to be doing a lot more of it. We need to be a lot more active and aggressive in this market. We should be hoovering up a lot more of these players. And we're missing a huge trick with not having a secondary club. We really are, because we're seeing news that City are just starting to pluck players from Croatia and Austria now and just park them at Lommel and different clubs in Europe. Like, if we had a club in Europe, it doesn't have to be a big club. It just has to be a club that we can use as a development portal. And one in South America, potentially in Uruguay, where clubs will be a little bit cheaper than they would in Argentina or Brazil. If we had those things, let's say we had a club in Portugal, middle of the road club, doesn't need to be a big club, middle of the road club and a club in in, in Uruguay. We could use that Uruguayan club as a central base to scour South America and bring in the next Moises Caicedo, the next Enzo Fernandez, when they're 17, 18 years of age, develop them there using our own methods. And then depending on how they develop, playing in the Uruguayan League, playing in the Copa Libertadores, hopefully. Then you can either bring them directly to Liverpool or you send them to that Portuguese club. And you develop them further there. And then they're ready for Liverpool. Or if they're not going to be good enough for Liverpool, if we decide that they're not quite of the level, well, then you can sell them on to the European market, having already proven themselves in one of the big six leagues. Now, you could do it in France either, whichever way you want. But all of a sudden, now you've got an extra source of income coming into not Liverpool directly, but certainly into the FSG pot, which in turn can be further redistributed around between Liverpool, said Portuguese or French club. And let's just say it was Liverpool, Montevideo, because I just think it would be quite cool if we did own that club or at least if the same owners own that club and there was a connection, um, that money can then be redistributed. And then those clubs can all continue to grow, can expand their academies. You can do more and more and more of this. You can build yourself a little talent factory. That's what we should be doing. And then, uh, you know, after that, you'd want to expand it further. You'd want to buy a club in Africa. You'd want to buy a club in Asia. And you continue to scour these markets for the best young players. And you don't end up having to pay huge fees when they've proven themselves because they're proving themselves in your system. And yes, you'll have to buy them. As Liverpool, you would have to buy the player 
from the Portuguese club. But that's fine because you can buy him at a real price, not at a hundred million. You could buy him for twenty-five million because they paid three or four million to buy him the year before. So it's not crooked. It's not breaking any rules. You're doing things the right way, but the money is staying in the same system. You know? Anyway, uh, Liverpool.com. Jurgen Klopp. Oh, sorry. Liverpool completes two transfers as Piero Hencapier would love to join Jurgen Klopp too. The two transfers are the two kids that I mentioned. Uh, Hincapier, I just don't think we'll be signing him because his agent is the same as Caicedo and um, he seems to be a less than a less than solid individual. Uh, I do think, though, and I could be wrong about this, but I do think that Hincapier is a player who would not count as non-homegrown for this coming Premier League season. I think he's got one. He does. He definitely does. He's got one more year left as an under-21 player. So we could sign him and not not have to worry about non-homegrown slots. Um, there's a piece about Andre, just some stuff about Decore, a piece about Harvey Elliott, a couple of pieces about Mo. Piece about Diaz. Liverpool should target former Jude Bellingham partner who did the donkey work for 145 million superstar. Let me come back to that one. Uh, Piece about Matthias Nunes. Looks like he will end up at City. Piece about uh, Trent Coney Doherty. Um, There's nonsense about Ryan Gravenberch. Sally Oskan of uh, Borussia Dortmund is the player that Liverpool.com are suggesting we should we should target. I definitely wouldn't be against it. I think he's a very, very good player. Um, he's 25 years of age. He's an absolute machine off the ball, like a ball-winning machine. Uh, we discussed him briefly on the committee pod last summer, but by that stage, I think he'd already committed to going from Cologne to Dortmund. He played 36 games for Dortmund last season. Um, I want to see his injury history. I don't think he cost ridiculous money either. He's still got three years left in his contract. So he's marked down here as having had an ankle fracture. Last season and only missing 10 days. So that can't be right. It can't have been an ankle fracture. That's just nonsense. Um so aside from that, he had a strain in his arse. An infection, and he's been sick a couple of times, and that's kind of it. And then whatever it was with the ankle, probably a twisted ankle. Um, so that's pretty good. I, I certainly would be would be in favour of signing him. I think he's a very good player. 
Um, I think be be cost affordable as well. Um, finally, then we will look at AnfieldIndex.com, where everybody is working very hard to keep you fulfilled with comfort with uh, the content. Uh, the piece about Neil Jones and his latest comments. A piece about Liverpool rising stars. Uh, a piece about Harvey Elliott. Um, piece about Quivin Kelleher. Piece about the Anfield Road end. Uh, there's a piece about Trey Nioni, uh with Fabrizio Romano's name because he was the one that confirmed the deal yesterday. We should point out, of course, though, that Fabrizio, being the interesting chap that he is, uh, has had four here we goes this summer that have not worked out. The latest of which is Gabri Viega, who was linked to Liverpool, obviously. Uh, he is away to Saudi Arabia, which will kind of tell you what that kid's priorities are. Uh, Podcast-wise, there is a Media Matters with Dave Davis and Neil Jones. And there is a Molby on the spot, Trev and Jan back together. So do make sure you give that a listen because it will be a belter as always. And that's it. That's all I've got. So I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves and don't be fucking crazy. It was not a PR move. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.